but my love for independent beauty brands is that they often have a higher purpose a lot service other markets like the one i belong to the latinx community they're much more diverse and inclusive and a lot of them are bootstrapped and so these brands themselves have built monumental communities considering the funds available to them at the start they're not owned by large beauty conglomerates like a lot of the more mainstream brands that you see in retailers so i'm doing this podcast for them hey guys i'm izzy sapien a seasoned brand builder in the most elusive and mysterious industry on earth the glamorous beauty industry and i'm on a mission to make beauty a better place starting with this podcast I've worked in the marketing departments of several major beauty brands and helped build a number of emerging brands from zero to millions. Each week, I'll break down the details of some of beauty's most notorious and untold scandals of today, along with my own personal experiences. But most importantly, my whole reason for doing this podcast is to highlight the beauty and wellness brands, influencers, and trailblazers who are doing it right and deserve a piece of the spotlight. Not to be mistaken for a cancel culture reboot, this well-intentioned tell-all aims to create a space for growth in beauty. I hope you'll join me every week for honest and stripped-down conversations. After all, it's growth that's a thing of beauty. Hey guys, welcome to A Thing of Beauty. My name is Izzy Sapien and I am a seasoned brand builder in one of the most elusive and glamorous industries on earth. I spent the majority of my career building independent beauty brands from zero to the million dollar plus mark. And this podcast is sort of my way of giving back to a really underserved industry, providing some more insight to all the brands entering on how they can help us build better beauty. This first episode is gonna be a little bit different. I wanna introduce myself, but I also wanna share what you'll be expecting from episodes in the future. We're going with more of an interview style series where we'll have experts from beauty, wellness, skincare, the influencer side, the brand building side, and some founders, and give them a chance to share what they've created and how they're helping build better beauty in a spotlight. One of the reasons I started this podcast is my deep love for beauty specifically, but independent beauty, though its recent meteoric rise has not always been in the center. When you're looking at the writing on places like Allure, Glamour, or larger beauty podcasts, um, a lot of them are geared towards mass-produced products. And there's nothing wrong with those products. I think every product in the world serves its purpose. But my love for independent beauty brands is that they often have a higher purpose a lot service other markets like the one i belong to the latinx community they're much more diverse and inclusive and a lot of them are bootstrapped and so these brands themselves have built monumental communities considering the funds available to them at the start they're not owned by large beauty conglomerates like a lot of the more mainstream brands that you see in retailers so i'm doing this podcast for them my background was as a makeup artist and that's actually how i got into marketing i was working at armani um it was the holidays actually when i got the job if you want to be a makeup artist by the way the easiest time to try to get in is the holidays because they'll hire literally anyone but i actually did go to makeup artistry school i went here in arizona where i'm based and also took some classes in london when i was there over a summer 
years later when I was working in the retail side, my career was starting to get stagnant. I think everybody goes into makeup artistry. At the time, there wasn't like a ton of Instagram makeup artists, but celebrity makeup artists were the thing you wanted to be, right? And we all believe in ourselves. The beauty of naive young children is we all believe in ourselves. And as my career moved forward, I realized I probably wasn't the level of artist that I would ever be on a TV show or a movie set or anything like that. But also I started to fall in love with the more production side of beauty. Um, I transitioned over to a buyer and we would often get teams coming in to sell products or do product trainings. And a lot of those teams consist of brand marketers. And I can pinpoint the exact moment. There was a team that still exists, a very wonderful retail success team called Gram Collective. And it's owned by a fabulous founder, Layla Munt. And she came in to train the company I was working at, the retailer I was working at, on a brand called May Lindstrom. And I don't think she still represents them. I'm pretty sure May has gone on her own. Both lovely people. But everything about her, the way that she spoke about the brand, the way that she wanted to represent the brand, and I'm not going to lie, you know, the money to be made was significantly better than it was in artistry. But I knew that I could support brands from that end. So I ended up going back to business school and became a marketer. I was working as a buyer all the way through business school. And when I was sort of getting towards the end, I had a lot of brands approaching me being like, hey, I know you've been doing a lot of the marketing at citrine and i think what we need is not a big agency style company to support us we need somebody like you we need more like a freelance side and what am i going to say no to money two i've always loved beauty um and three i was having an amazing and really successful time marketing small brands i was listening to another podcast recently by dave gerhardt he's actually a favorite marketer i feel like it's so lame that marketers have favorite marketers but we do and he was talking about how there's really two kinds of marketers out there, right? There's the kind that you hire to build a small brand. And this is like the builder marketer. This is like the hunter gatherer, having fun, creating something out of nothing, often have zero marketing infrastructure at the time, these companies. And then you have the second type of marketer that comes in when that marketer's done, right? Because builders like to build. And that's what I've sort of discovered over my career. One of the main reasons I ended up leaving the agency um, and we had some great clients. I've worked with brands like Clove and Hollow. I've worked with a lot of CBD brands that other agencies wouldn't take. Um, I've worked with a ton of beauty brands, some of which I hope to share with you, and some larger brands that have now been acquired for millions of dollars. And there's nothing more rewarding than seeing these things happen. I think when you're looking at the uglier side of building beauty before it was such a competitive and undiverse market and the main job of the marketer was to make things look pretty, to make them look whiter, and to get rich people to buy them. Those are the types of people who were supporting independent beauty brands at the time because the price points were really high, um, because the fixed costs were high, right? We're not a big brand buying tons of inputs. Um, we're a small brand, and that makes uh, the cost of goods really high. And as things move forward in the agency a year and a half ago, which we're coming up around the time of COVID, the beginning of COVID and Black Lives Matter, I was considering leaving the agency already. Because of COVID, we'd lost a lot of really good team members. And also it was a really ugly time to work in beauty. There was a online conversation 
that we now call pull up or shut up where the community you know an online twitter instagram facebook wanted to understand why was beauty so undiverse and how this gone on so long and it called for the question of why are there so many people in c-suite positions that are white and why is nobody representing more diverse markets but the pitfalls of that is that if you were servicing an independent brand or were supporting diverse beauty you could not get any traction anywhere i mean everything was just static and people wanted to hear from the big brands right the brands that they recognized the names that they knew the products they were probably supporting in their everyday life and post looking at what happened i don't think we'll ever be over you know the effects of COVID. I, what am i i'm not a doctor i don't know about that but i think with the inclusivity situation i think it brought to light that there are so many great brands that are now getting so much better pr and marketing because the community called to question something really important in beauty and that's why can't we do this better and when we're talking about post covid we look at the growth of e-commerce for somebody like me who primarily built e-commerce brands it was easy to find a job. I mean, I decided to leave the agency ultimately after all those things. One, the, the toughness of the landscape. Two, I also developed a very rare pregnancy illness at the time, which actually a lot of people think is more common than it is. Hyperemesis actually only affects 2% of healthy pregnancies. And there's just a lot of celebrities lately who've spoken about it, which I think is great. but. It was really tough. The illness itself is often triggered by stress. So being an entrepreneur was just, a, it was very stressful for me. And I really wanted to see the pregnancy through. But when I decided to come back to work, I thought that the best way that I could service these brands was back on the B2B side. So now I work at Indie Beauty Media Group and I get to do a lot of marketing for Beauty Independent, a great platform for new and independent emerging beauty brands. And I get to work at another company that IBMG owns called Addit, where we help independent brands get in front of retail buyers at major retailers. And so fast forwarding here today, this is sort of my redemption. I've always been on the back seat of the brands and I think now it's finally time where the consumers are wanting to know what is behind the brand, right? What do you really stand for? What are you really here to say? And as a marketer and brand builder and somebody who's often been the house of the brand messaging, um, I get to share those things and I get to share it from brands, not only that I've worked with and I support and heavily understand the inner workings um, and the community they've built and how honest it really is and new brands because new brands are coming all the time and I get to share them with you guys. Some of these solo episodes will go through some news and the latest headlines in beauty so let's just jump in a bit there was a interesting article in beauty matter covering an ftc case in case you guys don't know the ftc is the governing board which is in charge of false claims basically keeping advertising clean for the consumer making sure brands are doing what they say that they're doing and a lot of brands got fined for fake reviews written. And the FTC is saying that these are deceptive, administrative, and marketing practices. I think what's so interesting about this whole thing is 
it's very deceptive. Um, and I can't count the amount of times people have asked me to write a fake review or go on and make fake emails to write fake reviews for new products. I've worked with a lot of products and social proof does make a difference. It makes a difference not only for SEO, but for new customers coming to the site, you know, those testimonials matter. And they're a lot of the reason that new people will try new products. So I understand the basis for that, but a lot of the brands on this list were shocking. They were not small brands. I'm not saying let's excuse small brands. Like that's not fair or whatever, but like I saw Athletica, Adidas, Bacardi, Tesla. It's actually, and it got weird. Like I saw Chipotle on there and Dollar Tree. Like, I don't know who the fuck is trying to misrepresent Dollar Tree. Like, isn't it kind of like a, you get what you get kind of thing. If I'm paying a dollar is quality really like on my mind. In terms of makeup, I think there were a lot of brands that people still consider really authentic, like Kylie Cosmetics. Um, the first people who ever got fined for this, I think were Sunday Riley in 2019. And it's interesting because that's a brand that I also love, not really an independent beauty brand, but more of a clean brand. Um, Mac was on there. When we're dealing with brands like L'Oreal, this is almost where I feel like I just wanna take out the proverbial guillotine, you know? Like brands who have enough money they get thousands of people to try their product. They do focus groups, like all that shit. And this is not the first time that L'Oreal has been in trouble for something completely preventable, I feel like, and very misleading about who they are as a brand. And this story is also interesting because one of my favorite points in beauty is what's the line between advertising and deception? So much of my career, I've walked this line and, and maybe tilted on either side too much. Maybe that's the redemption I'm trying to see. I've supported some things, you know, I've had clients who promoted something as a charity thing and it wasn't, the, pro, the proceeds never went to charity. You know, I've seen some very misleading ingredient things and you know, you try your best, but at the end of the day, everybody needs a meal ticket. But I think what's beautiful about more of the editorial side, the writing side, the promotional side is that I, don't have to get paid to lie. Sometimes in marketing, that's what you're paid to do, which is why I love the company that I work at now. Um, I never have to lie in exchange for money, which is just a huge weight off my back. But speaking of L'Oreal, I wish I could explain why I have such a disdain for some of these conglomerates. I mean, there's really seven big conglomerates that own the majority of beauty brands, right? This has been going on for years. And though L'Oreal is not the only one doing this, they're probably like the current whipping boy of big beauty. I think what really started this was this breaking story of employee abuse, like a, su like a suicide attempt. There was a woman working at L'Oreal and she basically had written this note, I think it was in her iPhone that said, if anything ever happens to me, it was because of L'Oreal. And you know, fast forward in the story, it brought to light this whole culture of toxic white male upper management 50 additional anonymous people came forward. I mean, it was a social shit show, but anything can become a social media shit show. I think the craziest part is how much it brought to light with the consumers, a side of the brand they never saw. There was, a, they started getting like all these, they weren't fake awards, they were real awards. I mean, they got like the Indonesian gender inclusive workplace award, like all around the same time. and the Graduate Recruitment Award of Europe, which I think is like they hire people out of college and it's like a supportive environment. I mean, it's very much proactive PR going into place. 
And I think it's just one of many stories of consumers asking what's real. And when you're in the wake of this sort of cultural reckoning, not just for, for beauty, but for product safety, for product awareness, for product transparency, we get to ask for the first time, not just as consumers, but as also builders of the brand um, and the people who hold the power to change things. When it comes to beauty, how can we be held accountable for this? And should we? And those are some of the topics I hope we get to discuss on this podcast. I hope you will join me every Tuesday. We're going to have new episodes every Tuesday. I hope you follow me on Instagram at Izzy Sapien. I'm thinking about doing a Instagram for this podcast, but we'll see. I mean, I have a baby. I just want to be realistic with what I can keep up with. But thank you so much for joining. I hope you'll join me next week. I have some really amazing guests coming up that I've already interviewed and I'm incredibly excited to share the work that they're doing and how they are advocates for building better beauty.